DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to check in with Trey Fitzgerald. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption and they're managing irrigation. Well, if you are in that situation, you need more info, find out more at smartrain.net. And Trey Fitzgerald, host of the Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast, former RSL employee, joins us. And before we get to RSL and the soccer, as we sit here and discuss the NBA, do you wince, Trey? Because you are a huge Nuggets fan growing up in New Mexico. You saw their games as a kid. You lived in Denver. Are you wincing? Is the Nugget fan base like the Jazz fan base? Man, if we'd been healthy. In the Nuggets case, if Jamal Murray hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the... The progress they made to go 17 and 7 without Jamal into the second round of the playoffs. That's the logical, reasoned view. Most people don't have that, as you know. Um, currently, everybody's debating, you know, do you give $100 million to three players if you, if you give uh, Michael Porter Jr. The, the rookie extension? And what do you do with Aaron Gordon in another year? And, uh, you know, will Jamal be back by All-Star game? You know, will he be 100%? All those kinds of things. So there's definitely angst amongst uh, all NBA fan bases right now. And looking at uh, an opportunity that uh, of what could have been and what might be missed, because if the Warriors and the Lakers get back to where everybody expects them to be, the, uh, the markets like Utah, Denver, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Atlanta may not have uh, the chances that they obviously have this year. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, though, these other markets, because these teams that you just mentioned are all really good teams. And on any given, they can be better than anybody. You know, they're right, they're right there. There's a bunch of teams that you look at, and a healthy Denver, I think you've got to put them in that mix. And obviously a healthy Utah, you've got to put them in that mix. But how they manage their money, basically, and what I mean by that, their money on what they decide to pay or who they decide to pay and how much becomes so critical. To me, I think it's great for the league, but at the same time, I find it fascinating. You know, you just said, what's Denver going to do? Utah has some decisions. And so you put that all in there, and don't you find it just interesting and actually better for the league, intriguing, when you've got all these small or middle-type markets that have really good teams and have tried to do the right thing? Yeah, I I think you're exactly right, PK. I love it because these are all teams that have exciting stars, burgeoning superstars. Um, Most of them, if not all of them, have what you would call a core uh, that should have a window of, what, four or five years barring injury. Uh, But you do have that kind of luxury tax guillotine hanging over everybody's head and, you know, I like watching the Warriors because I think Clay and Steph and Draymond are special, and I love Steve Kerr. But it, when Clay goes down and they kind of make the emergency move to trade for Kelly Oubre, and yeah, they're only paying Kelly Oubre, I don't know, $14 million, but the luxury tax implications essentially meant that his one contract cost them $80 million in a year that they could, couldn't even invite fans into their – billion dollar arena so those i mean that's an extreme example i think it's probably a little more than what ryan smith is looking for if if they sign conley or go out and find somebody else and 
and that pushes them into the what the tax MLE, which is another five million on top, five point six or whatever. So uh, this is fascinating, and you know this is what the NBA has become, right? Though is the off-season hot stove, to use a, a baseball term from our days when we were all kids, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, is is part of what drives the NBA culture on social media. And um, look, if the NBA is going to become a little more like the NFL, where more fan bases have hope at the beginning of every season and are excited at moves in the offseason, that's a good thing. I know Max Kellerman and all these national pundits are lamenting what the TV ratings would be if, uh, you know, if you have a Milwaukee Phoenix finals or an Atlanta, uh, Denver, Utah, whatever finals. But I think it, it opens it up and those kind of antiquated um, metrics of TV markets and ratings as, as we all kind of go into digital and streaming and social and the world becomes smaller and some of these other cliches, I, I, I'm not as worried about that. It doesn't have to be uh, New York, L.A., right. you know, Miami, San Francisco all the time. Well, that's an interesting segue to the world of Major League Soccer, where a <laughs> former NFL guy is the commissioner. And it's a little different because the Seattle and Atlantas are certainly a big deal. But it does team, seem like there's tiers of soccer and RSL losing a Seattle team that has – more money and more depth, and there's a salary cap. But like the NBA, it's soft, so there are ways around it, and Seattle seems to have figured it out. Yeah, look, uh, Seattle is run by our, our good old friend um, Garth Lagerway, who I think should be the next commissioner of Major League Soccer um, because he's that smart. He's that good of a leader in terms of making everyone uh, from the very, very top to the, to the game day volunteers and everyone in between feel important. He was the glue, I think, of, of Real Salt Lake for many, many years. And yes, Jason Christ got a lot of the headlines, but um, you know, Garth built a culture and built a roster along with many, many others. But now Garth's in Seattle. He's got an ownership group that has deep pockets that is willing to spend um, top dollar on marquee players. But as you mentioned, DJ, uh, depth. So Seattle rolls out a semi-B team lineup on, on Wednesday night. And, you know, I think RSL, well, I'm sure we'll get into this, probably feels a little unlucky not to have gotten at least a point out of that road uh, performance. But Seattle is clearly the better team. And, you know, what they can do when they put players 14 through 20 out there um, compared to what probably all but maybe three or four MLS teams can do that only go, we'll talk about this for Houston. Houston's only 11 deep um, and they've had a decent start, but you know, if injuries and national team call-ups and red card suspensions, when all those things start folding in, you've got a compact uh, COVID uh, affected season where teams are going to be playing three games in eight days for almost the rest of the year, um, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, uh, that's where that depth shines. And Seattle is, has the tools to endure. I think RSL, with some of these new additions that were announced right before the close of the transfer window with Bobby Wood, uh, Tony Dakovich at center back, and Johnny Menendez on the wing, I think um, the the front office for RSL has given Freddie Juarez some options 
coming off the bench and to rotate uh, that they did not have earlier uh, in the season when I think if you look at the Minnesota game, you look at the San Jose game, even if you look at the game the other night, you see a lot of dropped points and kind of missed opportunities. And it's, I think, early enough in the season that you don't have to have heartburn over those missed opportunities, but you better learn your lessons and you better not uh, repeat those mistakes uh, when you get into kind of the dog days here of the summer and then the uh, the run out uh, late in the season when literally every point uh, can flip you from outside the playoffs to comfortably uh, with a home field advantage. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Trey. I mean, you put the two teams at the top, Seattle and KC, but then everybody else, man, that well, not everybody, a couple of teams at the bottom, but there's so many teams in the middle, so to speak, that uh, when we get away from this for several weeks from now, this thing could look dramatically different. Yeah, because, I mean, RSL has the advantage, still has two games in hand over, I think, most of the West. So if you look at a points-per-game average, uh, which is what you have to do in soccer instead of a winning percentage because you could have, uh, you know, you have a third option on a result with a tie. But anyway, points-per-game, they're fourth in the West. Uh, overall, on, on uh, gross points, they're, um, I think, seventh in the West and just hanging on barely to that that last playoff spot. There's a lot of soccer uh, left to be played. I think um, what's going to be critical over the course of the next, uh, I don't know, 30 days as you kind of get to, actually it's, a, it's less than that. It's probably about 23 days before you get to a little mini uh, international break in late July is integrating uh, some of these new faces. And, uh, you know, when you have three, guys competing for two spots every day in training, whether that be an outside back, center back, D mid, striker, winger, whatever. Uh, as you guys know, it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. If you've got that daily competition for who's going to be penciled in the starting lineup, it sharpens, um, you know, they say, this is the cliche, iron sharpens iron. So um, then you've got, because of the schedule rotation needs, um, you you can keep a guy engaged if he's upset he's not starting on Wednesday, uh, but maybe he comes off the bench, he gets 10, 20 minutes. Um, more than likely, that odd guy out from that three guys for two spot competition is going to start uh, 72 hours later just because the games are coming fast and furious. So um, I think Freddie has a little more to cook with now, and we're really going to get a sense uh, this summer of how good or lacking uh, this roster is and this team is. But I, uh, I am optimistic right now because when you bring in U.S. international talent like Bobby Wood, uh, you bring in uh, another Croatian uh, to go along with uh, Demir Krylock and Boyan in our Utah uh, fa- sports fabric here in Tony Dakovic at center back. Um, you know, these are world-class talents. Rubio Rubin is a former U.S. national team guy, and Johnny Menendez is a uh, Argentine winger who's in his prime. And if you look at the history of Argentinian players that have come through MLS, including RSL, like Javier Morales is probably the best player in the history of this club. So um, that's the pedigree and that's the uh, comparables that these guys face. And uh, so I think RSL fans have a lot of reason to be optimistic that they can get back to uh, defending Rio Tinto as a fortress, getting three points, Every time out, the crowds have been really good despite the COVID restrictions, uh, you know, so far this year. 
And uh, Saturday night against Houston, it's it's open to, to full capacity, and they're not going head-to-head with the Jazz like they were uh, last Friday. So uh, the, the place will be uh, almost full, I imagine. So you mentioned bringing in these new guys, and I'm curious because you know we got a lot of listeners who follow basketball. We got some who follow baseball, and they sure. bring international players, and they don't seem to get hung up with the visas. And it seems to happen all the time in soccer. And RSL, you can't complain too much because you benefit when it happens to other teams. But yep. it's happening to RSL right now, and everybody's waiting for a new goal scorer. Everybody knows they need a third center back in there yep. uh, to compete and all that stuff. Why, why the hang-ups with the deal is done, but you're wait, waiting on the visa paperwork? I wasn't expecting a political conversation here this morning, DJ. But, um, you know, the, the visa, the State Department, all the immigration challenges that we read about every day – do affect the world of sports and um, previous administrations. Uh, it was simple. Uh, the last four years, it got more complicated. COVID uh, added further complications on both sides of the process. And, uh, and now there's a massive uh, backlog in every consulate and every embassy around the world. And look, I've been around this sport and the international nature of sports long enough to know that uh, in certain countries, corruption plays a role in all this. And everybody's got their hand out. Everybody's trying to get the wheels greased to, to, to put something at the top of the pile, if you will. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm just saying these are possible uh, scenarios for delays and complications. Um, in my conversations with everybody at RSL, they expect uh, Menendez and Dakovich to be here uh, any day. But, yes, they are frustrated because uh, when you get those contracts done by May 30th, which I believe was the deadline for the window, I think they fully expected by the end of the international break uh, those guys would have had their visa appointments in their home countries. And that's a formality. That's where you generally just get, as long as you don't have a criminal record, you get your your uh, passport stamped and your your uh, work visa approved to come earn a living in the United States. But um, it is definitely not as uh, expedited and smooth a process as it was uh, five years ago and uh, even pre-COVID. How about the ownership, man? It's been six months since all this uh, stuff went down. Where do you see this going? When's it going to get wrapped up? Yeah, um, what I'm what I'm hearing is that there are uh, close to a dozen uh, parties still kind of kicking the tires on uh, on Real Salt Lake. Major League Soccer's league office, the commissioner's office, uh, is managing the sale. Uh, coming into the 2021 season, there were three teams, including RSL, that were uh, available: the Orlando City Group and the Houston team that we'll see when. Uh, sorry. Saturday night, tomorrow night, uh, those were the other two teams for sale. So Orlando uh, was sold for $450 million. Uh, that includes their training facility. That includes their stadium. So a very similarly structured deal as I think what we have here uh, in Salt Lake. Houston sold for $400 million. It did not include the stadium because that is a civic property. Um, and you know, the, there's a tons. There are a ton of intangibles uh, when looking at each market. And I would make the argument. Obviously, I'm biased because I love Salt Lake. It's been home here for 17 years. 
Um, I think we have the infrastructure. When you go out to Harriman and see the training facility, the, the RSL and the Monarchs and the Academy have, people compare that to um, Manchester City's facility over in England. And um, they, you know, it's truly world class. Um, you know, Rio Tinto is 13 years old now, which is in- incredible uh, to believe, but um, it, it is still in great shape. It, it needs some upgrades. I know Deloitte had planned on, um, on adding some suites and some other uh, kind of food areas and premium stuff, but, you know, whoever the new owner is, we'll see if they decide to dust off those plans. So uh, the commissioner and all his public comments, he says that, he expects the transaction to be finalized by the end of the year. Um, I think, you know, what we're looking for here uh, is, is there a local owner uh, that would take over RSL? Um, you guys would know probably better than me, but if, if you made a list of local uh, families or entities that have that money, it's a pretty short list, right? Um, Huntsman, to- James... Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what you know, the Houston group was bought by a New York real estate guy. I think the Orlando group was bought by the Will family that owns the Minnesota Vikings. So they had to divest themselves of their minority ownership of the Nashville soccer team, which just uh, started last year. So you know, even nationwide, it's a it's a small circle. And I mean, when you think about uh, Dave Checkett's creating this club out of thin air for a $7 million franchise fee back in 2004, and then uh, the most recent expansion fee was $325 million by David Tepper, who owns the Carolina Panthers uh, last year. You can see just from those metrics alone, the growth of, of soccer. I think what everybody's banging on, banking on is that you have a new TV rights deal that is about to go into play here for Major League Soccer in 2022. So they're negotiating with all the networks. Uh, we saw what that did for NBA salary caps a few years ago. So that's an expectation that would uh, increase uh, franchise rights value. And then, of course, you have the majority of the 2026 World Cup being held here in the United States. So. Um, you know, we've got a handful of games in Canada and Mexico, but I think 60 of the 80 games in that tournament will be played here on U.S. soil. So soccer's profile is only going to continue to grow. And, uh, you know, for a league that was basically um, conceived because of the 1994 uh, World Cup being held in the U.S., to have a 2026 World Cup as kind of a, a crowning achievement for the sport in this country and uh, to have a, a league that's full of 30 plus teams by then uh, with each franchise valued in the four to five hundred million uh, dollar range. An interesting report just came out last week. Mark Ingram, the NFL running back, uh, became a minority owner of the team in Washington, D.C. I don't remember how much he put in. I think it was you know only 15 million or something like that but the valuation for that club uh was 710 million dollars which um i was shocked at that number yes they have a new stadium yes washington dc is a big east coast market and all that stuff but um you know that club does not have the infrastructure 
resources or local relevance that Real Salt Lake has here. And I get that there are market disparities, and I know you guys discussed this ad nauseum in NBA um, uh, <clears throat> circumstances, but, uh, you know, a lot of those same dynamics are at play for um, for Salt Lake, you know, for RSL. You know, how do you attract free agents? How do you maximize sponsorships? How do you do all the things that create revenue streams that allow you to put the best product uh, on the field? And, and, and that's that's what's happening. So I think with all that as a background, the job that uh, Elliot Fall and Rob Zarcos and Tony Beltran have done to stabilize the ship so that the on-field product is um, – outside the eye of the hurricane from everything that's swirling, I guess, off the field with ownership and fans and, and some of that other stuff. And uh, that's to be commended. Again, the, the, the report card's incomplete because we're, you know, eight games into a, a 34-game season. But uh, there's reason to be hopeful and optimistic. So you tweeted at me a couple days ago a picture of a uh, – Padre fan flipping off a Dodger fan at a game. And the Dodger fan is tipped away, but it seems like they were smiling. You can just see a portion of their face and profile, just a little bit. So I imagine the Padre, and I'm just making this up, I have no idea. The Padre fan says something, and the Dodger fan is like, yeah, nice with the sweep, but we still got the World Series, and uh, we're going to take another one in the fall when we're healthy. And so the, the Padre fan just loses and flips them off. And you're like, well, this is this DJ circa 1993 at, you know, Qualcomm. And I told you, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, that's how Padre fans feel about Dodger fans. So if you took that picture at RSL, that opposing fan, it was taken in San Diego because the Dodgers were there for a series. What, What opposing team jersey would most likely be in that photo with an RSL fan flipping them off? I think it's Kansas City, no question. The... The rivalry with RSL and Colorado is contrived. Um, RSL's won 11 of the last 14 Rocky Mountain Cups with the Rapids, so I don't think that's a real rivalry. It's been too one-sided. But there is still bad blood and venom between uh, the RSL fan base and Kansas City because of MLS Cup 2013, because of the ticketing snafu, because of the battles between Kyle Beckerman, the RSL captain, and Benny Filehaber from uh, Kansas City. Um, so I think, you know, the blood is maybe dissipated. The venom is dissipated a little bit, but that's still uh, by and far RSL's number one rival. There are there are friendly rivalries with, with Portland and Seattle, and, you know, obviously RSL fans, Utah fans love to beat the L.A. teams. But uh, LAFC hasn't been around long enough. The Galaxy have kind of fallen on some hard times of late. So uh, the venom and vitriol is all reserved for Kansas City. Trey, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on with us. And we will uh, check check in with you down the line. Yeah, it's great to hear your guys' voices, even yours, PK. So I appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. (laughs) You do have to get together and golf. You two would have a yeah, good time out there. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, you two can yeah. crush it. All right, thanks, Trey. Thanks, D- guys. See you soon. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. How are the Clippers doing it? Again, down 0-2, winning game three. Looking awesome. Is it possible to lead a series 1-2, to PK? Does it feel no. like it's tied up 1-2? to No.
I suppose it is, but it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah. We'll get to all that with David Locke in a minute. Stay with us.